Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. This is part of our St. George series of podcasts. Um, my guest on today's on this episode is my friend Stephen Lambert, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. I always like to get Stephen's done right and get that spelling in our listeners' minds. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, Stephen's brave enough to share his story. He is a um, gay man in his 50s. He's been in a mixed orientation marriage that ended about six years ago. He's a father of five. Um, and we're going to talk about just his journey, trying to do the best he can, making it work as a gay Latter-day Saint in a mixed orientation marriage and and why that er- marriage ended. He has insights into advice he'd give others that are in mixed orientation marriages. He believes, like I do, those can and do work, and he wants to do everything. We both want what we can do to help those marriages succeed if it's possible, and he has some unique insights. Um, We'll also talk about the Pride Festival, that it's in its fourth year at St. George. Steve is responsible for the Pride um, Festival, so we'll talk a little bit about why St. George is doing a Pride Festival and Stephen's role in that. Steve served a mission in Virginia. Um, Thank you for your service and serving a mission. Grew up in Los Angeles. Um, Is that a good introduction? Yeah, Yeah, that works. Thank you. Um, talk about just what you do professionally. I'm uh, uh, the uh, director of human resources at Red Mountain Resort here in uh, Southern Utah. We have about 300 employees. Um, and what does Red Mountain Resort do? Um, we are a health and wellness resort. So everything that, uh, you know, w- w- the people that come to our resort want that healthy, active, uh, vacation. So we, uh, we have everything from, um, uh, you know, we take our guests out um, every single morning uh, on hikes. We have daily fitness classes, um, lectures, programming. That's awesome. Um, a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Are most in Utah? Most of your guests come from Utah or from all over the world? Um, all over. In fact, the number one city uh, that brings us the most guests in any other city is New York City. Wow. What a great place to come. St. George, the older I get, even though I'm a Utah native, I realize how unique St. George is and how many people come here from all over the world. I've been here 18 years and I fell in love with it. I love it here. It's gorgeous. And it's raining for the first time in 155 days or something. Yes. So it's really weird to see puddles of water all around St. George the last couple of days. We we appreciate it right now. Uh, talk about your story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Just share with our listeners when you knew you were gay, um, how your mission fit into that, and and then your decision to marry a woman. That could be three-hour podcast, those three questions. But. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you know, looking back at my life, um, I mean, my first recognition, or the, my first memory that where I recognized that um, I was attracted to the same sex. I wouldn't back then even know what, what gay was, but it was when I was in third grade. Um, there was a fourth grade teacher, um, who was a gentleman and I just was, um, so attracted to him and wanted nothing more than for him to be my teacher in fourth grade. So that's just my first memory of it, you know? Um, but I've always known, I just, there's, I've always known now, um, back then there wasn't a lot of role models and there wasn't anybody on TV or in the sports world, you know, admitting that they were. Um, and I thought I was terribly broken, that there was something extremely wrong with me. I didn't know what it was. Um, but I pretty much grew up thinking that, uh, that something was, was, wasn't right. Um, never really did anything in, in regards to my sexuality, but just before my mission, I was really nervous about going on a mission and I, I would love to go back in my mind and, and kind of figure out what prompted me. But I, for the first time in my life, I was going to admit it out loud and I want, I needed to tell my Bishop that I was attracted to men. And for some reason that was really important to me because I was so nervous about going on a mission and being attracted to men. So I met with him. He was very kind. I, I know him today still I love him to death. Um, but he, uh, um, you know, he was concerned and whatnot. Um, he told me at the time, and I didn't realize this at the time that this was something that all the church leaders were asked to, or told to, to tell, but he told me that, 
that I should go on my mission and stay faithful, come home, find someone to marry and marry her in the temple and all of this would go away. So that was my first glimmer of hope that I could be saved, I could be fixed, that all of this was just going to go away. So I did, I went on my mission, I stayed faithful, I did everything right, I did everything I could do, came home, started dating and found somebody who I fell deeply in love with and um, and we got married. That's great. I do recognize that as I'm learning more about this space, Stephen, that that is what the church said to uh, members of the church with same-sex attraction is to get married and that this would go away. And I um, recognize that a lot of faithful people went into marriages with that mentality that those some of those marriages have obviously um, not been able to survive. And so I recognize that complexity in your life versus pointing fingers at you. Um, it seems like you were trying to do the very best you could. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about how this was eventually really difficult for your former wife. Um, so, um, did you come out to your, your former wife in the dating process or why you were married that you had same sex attraction? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, before I was married, well, I was told not to tell anybody or not to discuss it, that it was, um, not to bring it up, not to verbalize it. So I didn't. And plus along with that, um, it was a non-issue because remember I was going to get married. It was all going to go away. So it didn't matter, you know, it was, and I honestly believed that I was excited for that. Then after I was married and time went by and I realized it wasn't going anywhere, um, I didn't say anything to her. I didn't really, I, I guess part of me was, I was scared to death to say anything. I didn't want to lose her. I felt a great responsibility toward her and my, and my children. Um, and then, but the other thing is, is I, I just, I guess I didn't think it was an issue because there was just, it was my problem, my handicap, my, my, you know, um, it just, it just didn't matter. I thought I was doing really good as a husband. I thought I was, um, a, uh, you know, a great husband. So it just, it just didn't matter to me. Unfortunately, that wasn't true, but in my mind at the time, that's how I felt. Yeah. Um, and you're doing a good job. And part of the purpose of sharing this podcast, people might say, why would I have somebody on the podcast that's kind of stepped away from the church and, and as marriage is ended. And I think I want to, help humanize everybody and see um, the difficult road that everybody walks as well as their contributions to society. And, and you're just thoughtful contributions before we visited to want to help others because of your own personal journey and your respect for the church and other people who are on different paths. And so I just, I think our listeners will learn from you. I'm going to learn from you and gain insights into how to help my fellow brothers and sisters, wherever they are. I hope so. Because of listening to somebody like you that's walked a pretty unique road um, without a lot of owner's manual, a lot of direction, um, and continues to walk that road in some respect. So talk about, it sounds like things are good. Just talk about why eventually your marriage ended. Well, you know, um, one thing that I didn't realize was, you know, even though my my wife at the time, you know, didn't know that I was gay, um, there was something wrong, you know, she could tell, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but you know, uh, there was something very wrong. I mean, I, I, I wasn't that normal, you know, husband who was, um, I guess, I don't know. I, I, there was just, there just was something missing and she could tell, she just didn't know what that was. And I think that, you know, after 25 years of marriage, you know, we, we were, we were actually married 27 years, but after, you know, the first 25 years of marriage, she just started to, to realize that and, and started to step away emotionally, even though she didn't know really why. And, um, when I did finally tell her and came out to her, um, and you know, she, I guess realized I, she told me at the time that she was grateful to find that out because, you know, she personalized, um, everything that she 
she she internalized it as her problem where it was in reality my problem and um so i, I don't know it just it just kind of there's probably a lot of factors involved but it just kind of fell apart and and i ended up telling her at the end and that um that was a hard thing for me to do and i and i still feel bad about the trauma that i caused because of that that's honest and i'm tenderhearted i don't want to put you back through that trauma and relive difficult days and you're bravely sharing some of that but I'm not a marriage and family therapist, but I recognize that it, um, probably what you said your wife was feeding was what she was feeding, that recognizing something wasn't right here and then assuming the problem was with her. And um, and so I I recognize that your empathy for her, understanding that, and now you coming out as gay in some ways was healing for her. Perhaps neither of us can speak for her, but it just I hope helped. it is. I hope. I yeah. hope so. And um, no one wants a marriage to end. No one starts a marriage with the goal to have a marriage end. And But it's the reality of some situations. And so it's what do we do going forward to keep the family circle together and um, do the best we can going forward. Uh, talk about um, mixed, talk, just define what a mixed orientation marriage is for our listeners. A mixed orientation marriage is when uh, one of the partners is attracted to the same sex and, um, and so you may have a, you know, a straight wife and a gay husband, but they, they're married anyway. Yeah. Um, we talked beforehand that we both realized that some of those marriages and many of those marriages work. Um, I don't, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the statistics. I've done enough podcasts with people in mixed orientation marriages to recognize those can be beautiful love stories and really work, but they take work. And what advice would you give to couples in a mixed orientation marriage, Stephen, that really want to make them work? Well, you know, and do you agree that some do work? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see that they work. I mean, they may not work by somebody's standards, but by their, by their own standards, they're married. They seem to be okay. I, I have friends that are, that are in these mixed orientation marriages. Um, they are difficult, um, for sure. I think the most important thing is, is that both partners know, um, there's, if, if one is, if there's a mix or if there's a mixed orientation marriage that, that one of the partners doesn't realize that that's what they're in, um, because they don't know their spouse is, is gay or a lesbian, then that can cause so much pain. I know this firsthand. Um, so I think the first and most important thing is, is that both partners fully know and understand what's going on. Um, and I also think that, you know, that I had a, a friend of mine or, um, who, who, who had just been married probably two or three years. And it was kind of interesting because he came up to me after he was in my ward and he came up to me and, and said, listen, I want to talk to you. He says, you know, people always talk to, um, and this had nothing to do with the fact that I was gay, but the fact that I was getting a divorce. And he, he basically said, um, you know, what, what advice do you have for a young married guy to um, have a successful marriage? And I said, well, that's kind of odd that you're asking a guy who's going through a divorce. And he's like, well, that's why I'm asking you because I... you have a different perspective. And I looked at him, I said, the, my first advice to you is to get counseling, get counseling before the marriage is broken. You know, um, I, I, I think that counseling marriage counseling would be an amazing thing to get from day one, just to make the marriage with the intent of making the marriage stronger. Um, men and women think differently. And, um, so I guess my second word of advice would be to make sure you're going through some sort of counseling. If you're in a mixed orientation marriage to help walk through some of these difficulties and help communicate with each other a little bit better. Um, and just be completely honest. Were there times when you almost came out to your, to your former wife 
earlier or was that, did it just kind of finally all happen at the end? No, there were times, there were definitely times, um, where I felt like I needed to or, or whatnot. Um, but I was so scared. I was so scared. My entire life was just going to crumble before me if I did that. So I didn't. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a sign of weakness. <laughs> I think that's just a sign of the practicality of the situation. And so, but I think you talking about it helps other people make better decisions. And I do like your friend saying, what advice can you give for married couples? Um, I do think that you have, all of us have, you have unique insights into how to make marriages work. And I love your suggestion about therapy. Other suggestions for couples in mixed orientation marriages that want to make these work? Oh boy. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, listen to yourselves and, you know, to each other instead of listening to outside forces. I know there's a lot of people who are against mixed orientation marriages and feel like that one of the two are not doing themselves, a, uh, you know, they're doing themselves a disservice. Um, at the same time, I mean, that's your life and nobody can judge your journey and what's good or right for you. So don't listen to outside forces trying to persuade you to do one thing or another, or, or think that you are, um, you're, you know, doing something wrong. Just, you know, listen to each other, be honest with each other and communicate with each other and, um, and make it work. I mean, is no marriage is easy. You know, every marriage takes work and every marriage has tremendous challenges. And so, um, it's just deciding, you know, it, it it's a decision between the two of you. Uh, would you be, how do you feel about a, a unmarried what advice would you give to an unmarried gay man or woman that is thinking about a mixed orientation marriages and, and feels like that could work? Oh boy. Um, I guess, I, I mean, in thinking about that, my first question to them is what is their motivation to move into the mixed orientation marriage? And, um, and to, you know, make sure that it's something that they, they want and that, that they, that they understand that it, it's going to be a very difficult journey, um, for both of them. Uh, but I think the motivation on why, um, is an important question to ask if it's faith-based, then they need to make sure that they stay close to that faith. Or, um, if it's, uh, if it's social based, then, Again, are they doing it because everybody else thinks it's the right thing to do, or are they doing it because they think it's the right thing to do? So just like I mentioned that don't listen to anybody else on, you know, that are saying that your mixed orientation marriage won't work or shouldn't work and you shouldn't be in it and you should get out of it. The same thing holds true. I mean, don't listen to everybody else and that says that you need to get married um, anyway and, uh, you know, it, it's a personal thing and, and it's gotta be something you personally, personally want. Do you think they ought to come out to the other person in the dating process? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, be honest from day one. Yeah, that would be my advice too. And I recognize you didn't have access to that advice, Stephen. <laughs> when you were dating. Um, and I think that's where we've improved as a society and as a church, um, that, and I do hear stories of men and women in the dating process that are not straight coming out to their straight partner and talking about that together and getting personal revelation together. I've always thought that you get better personal revelation when you have better information. And if a and if you're taking that question to Heavenly Father about a potential mixed orientation marriage, if both are praying with that information, you're going to get better revelation. And so I really agree with you there. And I, I'm sensitive that your mixed orientation marriage didn't work and that, you know, we're talking about how to make mixed orientation marriages work a little bit right now. And so... 
but I think we want in general marriages to work if possible and people going into marriages to be making the very best decisions they can. And I think, you know, I think you just did the very best you could. I don't feel any need to judge you or to point fingers at a marriage that breaks up and say, well, it's his fault or her fault. There's no way for me to know the complexities of another marriage to, for me to pass any judgment on you, on anybody. Um, and I just, my, the best way I can do is I just leave that at the Savior's feet and keep people in my circle and try to do the best we can to help people going forward. Are you okay with that or any thoughts on that? No, that sounds, that sounds perfect. Um, I described you as stepping away from the church. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, that's accurate. And did that happen with your marriage and divorce or did that happen before or after? Um, I would say that, you know, uh, that's a really tough question. Um, and maybe it's kind of gradual, so it's hard to, yeah, it's kind of, I, 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 you know, my person, I, I still was extremely active up until the divorce and somewhat after the divorce. Um, but I noticed, you know, you, you always hear about, um, how uncomfortable people feel if they're, you know, they go to church and there's, they're not, they're single or they're divorced. There's this stigma or whatever. And, and I felt that, you know, maybe that was all internal and maybe nobody else cared, but I definitely felt that. And it was, at first it was extremely painful to go into and sit in church all by myself as a divorced man. Um, it wasn't a place of comfort anymore to me. Um, it was it, terribly painful to go and sit through a temple session as a divorced man. Um, um, and again, you know, that, that was me, that was my personal feelings. Um, but then <clears throat> I started, you know, I guess, you know, I, as I looked back on the, on the advice that I was given when I was 18 by the church leaders and, and some of the advice that I see that they're, they're giving and some of their direction in the LGBTQ community. I just, I have a hard time reconciling that and, um, uh, and just started to lose my faith. I think it started with that. Uh, thanks for just being honest. I've never been divorced, but as I've talked to divorced straight people or divorced gay people, I recognize that that can be hard in our culture. And so I recognize we just need to do more to help people feel welcome that are not married. Um, there's a lot of people, obviously, that are not married in our faith, and, and it is a family-oriented faith, so some feel those messages don't connect with them. Uh, talk about, um, I just wanted to mention, um, we don't have any of your kids on the podcast, and sometimes this is complicated for kids. We've done a few podcasts of kids of, I call the name of the podcast, Straight Kids and LGBTQ Parents, and they're episode 87, 94, 111, 197 um, are episodes to of other you know, LDS kids that have gay parents talk about how they're managing this road. The last one we did was a guy named Mike Ramsey who wrote a book that's published by Cove Fort and now at Desert Book called My Dad is a Muslim, My Mom is a Lesbian, and I'm a Latter-day Saint. And he talks about, and I don't know if you, are you aware of that book, Stephen? I'm not. That sounds interesting. And he talks about basically having two moms. His dad was out of the picture very quickly. His mom ended up having a life partner, female, and he just shares, you know, what it is like to grow up with two moms. And there was some difficulty in that, but he's active LDS, served a mission, and he loves his mom. And his mom is lesbian, and his mom has a life partner, and his mom has stepped away from the church, but Mike has not cut his mom out of his life, nor his kid's life. And I just love what Mike taught in that podcast. So... This can be complicated for your kids. We don't have your kids on the podcast, um, but I, and that's one of the other angles of this is what do you do if you've got an LGBTQ parent? That can be, and especially if they've gone through a divorce. So I encourage any of our listeners to try to hear stories of, and sort of help navigate that road. Do you want your, 
and I, I know the answer ahead of this question, do you want your kids to leave the church with you or are you fine with them being in the church? Um, well, of my five kids, two of them have left the church. Um, then three have not. And of course not. I want them to be happy and I support them in whatever, you know, whatever makes them happy and what they, they feel, uh, good and right about. And we, you know, we all have support systems and we all have places of comfort and we all have belief systems and, and that's a very personal and individualistic thing. And I wouldn't want to impose my personal belief system on anybody else, nor do I want, you know, them to do that for me. And, and, and so I am happily supporting my children, um, that are still active in the church. Yeah. Um, and I admire I think sometimes our life story, we want others to follow that same life story. And so I admire sort of, I call it your maturity, Stephen, is that you honor everybody's path. And I guess what we're just asking is let, I assume what we're saying there is, you know, honor my path. And um, one of the podcasts I'm just remembering is another one we did. I mentioned it earlier, 111, Brian F F U G A L Fugel, I believe is how we pr pronounce his name and his gay dad, Lawrence, were on the podcast together. And he just talked about, you know, growing up with a gay dad, the other marriage kind of ended like you and his dad came out and. There were some difficult years, but Brian just learned to have a great relationship with his dad. And in fact, Brian produced a short film, if you listened to episode 111, that brought honor to his father and the difficult road as he kind of over time was able to kind of understand the difficult road his father was on um, as their marriage ended. And he didn't want to take sides like saying his father, you know, he just thought I can have a relationship with both parents and honor their unique life and their good life in my role. And I just loved what I learned from Brian. Brian got teased a lot. He said, well, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree, meaning Brian's going to be gay. He's a gay dad. And so you had to navigate some of that, but that's, I, you know, even if Brian were gay, I don't think we should, you know, think of Brian in a less, less light. He's straight. He's active in the church. Um, but some of this was just interesting to hear Brian um, being the son of a gay dad that brought a lot of understanding to me. Any thoughts on that or? Well, you know, I, I'm in a great situation with my children. I've got five absolutely unbelievably amazing children. I'm very, very lucky and very blessed that I have them in my life. Um, I, uh, um, you know, I mean, my kids didn't know that they had a gay dad until you know, five or six years ago. And so, you know, it wasn't like they were raised by, you know, someone that they knew was a gay dad. Um, however, you know, like my one son, uh, my third child, when I told him, when I, I came out to each one of them individually. And when I told him, he just looked at me and he's like, well, you're still dad. Nothing's changed. And those are the sweetest words that I could have ever heard. Um, and my kids have been, uh, very supportive. Um, we don't agree on everything, obviously. I don't think any parent and child does, uh, but my kids have been very supportive and very loving. Um, my son, my youngest son, um, who's, um, going to the university of Utah, uh, just sent me something this morning. Wanted me to look at it. He had to write a, um, a paragraph or two for a psychology class on discrimination. And he says, I don't feel like I've ever been discriminated against dad. So I wrote it about you. How does this sound? You know, and it was very That's thoughtful great. and very kind, um, uh, paragraph. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky as far as that's concerned. Um, and I feel like I've got a very good relationship with all of my children. Um, advice for other fathers that are coming out to their kids. Um, wow. Or moms that are, I guess, any yeah. LGBTQ um, parent that's coming out to their kids. You know, I would say this advice is, is good for any family member, whether it be your child or your parents or your siblings. And it was given to me by a really good friend of mine when I started to come out. 
He said, you have to realize, Stephen, that you have been dealing with this, processing this, coming to terms with the fact that you're gay for 50 years now. When you come out to your your family, to your friends, you've got to give them time. You cannot expect them to be in the same place as you are mentally and having processed this um, right away. And I decided that... I would never, with my family, I would never be angry uh, about something that they said um, or, uh, you know, or, or did um, because I I had confidence that they loved me and that they, if they did say something, it was, it was, or it was based or it came from an area of love and um, I would educate, I would, you know, tell them my true feelings and what I thought, but I wouldn't let anger take over. And I think that's really helped as well um, because they may say something that is hurtful, but it's not meant to be hurtful. It's just where they're coming from. It's based on, on their own belief system, on their faith, on their upbringing, on their circumstances. Um, and we just have to have patience with each other. Great advice. Talk about um, shifting gears now in the last part of this podcast um, from your personal story to the Pride Festival here in St. George. Introduce yes. that to us, your role and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, it's kind of an interesting journey for me. Um, in 2016, I'm not even don't even have both feet out of the closet i'm just kind of trying to still figure out what i want to do and and uh a friend of mine who is in part of the lgbtq community approached me and and he told me that there was a group of high school kids that were really wanted to do pride down here in st george it was right after the orlando shootings they were scared they were and they were on edge and they just felt like they needed to have this show of support. Um, and he knew that I had event uh, experience, um, both the community event experience and through my professional life. And so he asked me if I would help. And so basically within 10 days, uh, me and another group of, uh, of adults helped these kids put together this very first Pride in 2016. And there was about a thousand people that showed up. We... Uh, it was later that year that I was asked by this same friend if I would help him co-chair uh, Pride for 2017, um, that we wanted to keep this going. And I said, yes, I, I'll do that. Halfway through the year, he dropped out um, because of personal reasons. He ended up moving. Um, and so I was kind of just left there holding the bag. And um, there were times where I just like, forget it. It doesn't matter. I don't need to do this. Um, no one will even know it just, it just, it, you know, whatever, cause it was going to be a lot of work and a lot of, uh, pressure and whatnot. But then it, the thoughts just kept going through my mind. No, we've got to keep doing this. No, this is important. And, and so we've done it again into, we, you know, held another pride in 2017, 18 and 19. Um, I, I helped form a nonprofit group pride of Southern Utah and the reason why I think it's so important is, you know, I've kind of made it a goal in the second half of my life that I want to be the person that I needed at that age, whatever that age may be, whether it be, you know, uh, 14 years old and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on or whether it be a 45 year old just coming out of the closet and and need it, you know, need somebody. I I want to be the person I needed at that age. And so the Pride of Southern Utah is all about, you know, support, community, family, understanding, learning, growing, loving, um, and helping the community at large, you know, the entire community of, of Southern Utah understand better that we as the LGBTQ community we're your neighbors, we're your friends, we're the people sitting next to you in church, we are the people that are serving you or that you're serving us and our places of business. Um, and, you know, we're, we're the family down the street. And 
I think that there is a lot of, um, you know, good to be had there. And I, you know, that's our, that's our goal. That's our mission. I love that. Talk about family, family friendly pride. What does that mean? So what, you know, I, I think a lot of people my age think of pride parades and I go to big metropolitan cities with lots of skin that makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, you know, I wanted our Pride Festival down here to be something that anyone in Southern Utah could come to, anyone in the world could come to and feel comfortable and feel welcome. And, you know, go, yeah, this is just a really fun festival. It's kind of colorful, but it's fun, you know? And and so I've made it very clear um, that our Pride Festivals are to be family friendly and they're open to everybody. The reason being is again, it's it's about showing the world that um and, and our friends and neighbors that, you know, we're safe, we're okay, you know, we there we have value to this community and to help them feel more comfortable. Because I do know that they're you know, whenever you, you see the pride in the big metropolitan cities in the press, or you know, the press is always going after the shock value. And um uh, wants to stir up controversy and whatnot. And so people do have some misconceptions about what pride is and what it means. And um, they think we're out there to take their rights away or to change the world or whatnot. Well, if we're out there to change the world, it's only to make it a better place and a more loving place and a more acceptable place for all of us, all of us, the entire community at large. And are there booths at the festival, Stephen? Oh yes, uh huh. In fact, it's kind of a booth. If I went to the oh goodness. Pride Festival, what would I see? Well, um, at this last Pride Festival that we had, we actually had a whole section that had booths for um, from all the different or, or most of the different state and national parks. It was our outdoor zone, so everyone from Zion to Bryce to the Grand Canyon was there. Um, we had another section that was our pet adoption area and where so we, these aren't even LGBT. No, related. it's just, it, these aren't LG. I'm going to not make, I'm going to make a bad joke. So we'll just keep going. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then also I mean, we have, you know, so there's, there's different commercial businesses that are there. They're selling goods, but then there's also a lot of support services um, that help with the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, everything from, um, the uh, LGBTQ uh, chamber of commerce that's here in Utah to um, um, support services that deal with uh, the legalities like Equality Utah has a booth there and Equality Utah does has done amazing wonders in this state for the LGBTQ community and and in in making sure that we have our equal rights. Um, there are um, uh, health clinics there to help people, um, know where they can go for the, you know, for, uh, that are LGBTQ friendly, um, health providers and, and whatnot. So a lot of support services as well. And how many came in 2019? Do you have attendance? Now? We had well over 3000. I'd like to think it's about, was about 3,500 people there. So that's triple from 2016. Your yes. First year. Yeah. So we actually tripled, our vendors um, participation tripled our vendor participation in 2019 over 2018, which I think is amazing because it's showing that there is more and more support. And are you getting criticism in the community for holding a pride festival? Oh, yeah. You know, here and there, you know, we always see that coming through on social media and whatnot. Um, I, you know, it's nothing too concerning. I personally, I mean, as from an organizational standpoint, I like to see the protesters because to me that shows that this is something that's still valid and something that we still need to do. I mean, to me, every time the protester shows up, it's proving why we do this, you know? And, uh, um, it's, you know, yeah, there's still, there, there's still people out there, which tells me that they're, that, you know, that are negative, which tells me that there's still work that we need to do. Uh, I like the word pride. I, 
is a word in the LDS church that has, if we did an unaided awareness test, I think some members of the church would be nervous about that word and some people would be fine with that word. I think it's a word that has a lot of different meanings, so it can be kind of a triggering word. And when I hear, so I'd invite the listeners to not get triggered by that word until we kind of talk about what we're saying in a pride festival to me. And you can, you know, to me, this is just showing support to a group of people. Um, Yeah. And so it's not like, you know, it's not some interpretations of the word pride. I think we shall have be proud in how God created us straight or LGBTQ. We should all be at peace with who we are. And so to me, those are just, principles of humanity. And so some, I think for groups that have historically been marginalized, they will sometimes raise their voice or form community to just create community to help them walk their road in an appropriate way. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about the, the negative use of the word pride. I think the negative use of the word pride is when a person is prideful and um, which makes them feel like that they are better than others um and don't need others that's how my interpretation of it when we're talking about um you know the lgbtq pride uh what you know we're talking about a community who has been marginalized um and a community who has been um criticized and shown a lot of of hate um throughout history so pride is about being able to come together as a community and stand up for who you are and be proud of your existence of, of who you are and not, you know, being proud instead of being shameful. I think that's the difference. I like that. Um, what would you say to people that say, well, you're, you know, I don't need to, tell everybody I'm straight. Why do you need to tell everybody you're not? Um, I don't feel like I need to tell everybody I'm not straight. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> you Stephen. know, I just, I, I don't feel that way. Um, I think that it's, you know, I think sometimes it's obvious, um, by just by the way a person, um, acts or the, by the way, a person, you know, you know, it just their personality, I should say, you know, um, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I guess that that's very individualistic on why, whether, why someone feels like they should tell people that they're, that they're gay or, or not. Um, I think that most of it, it just comes to this underlining need that we all have to be accepted and loved. All of us need that. And, um, and I think that we need to be, you know, happy and, and pri- proud of who we are, um, whether it be that you're gay or whether it be you are a University of Utah fan. You know, it, 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 we all have things that we're excited about and who, uh, about who we are and what we believe in. Um, I don't know. I like your answer. It's a good answer. Um, do you ever think a pride festival runs its course and is no longer needed in society as LGBTQ people are just accepted for who they are and are fully integrated in society? Or do you think they'll always be? I have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, that would be amazing. I don't think we're there yet, though. We're not there yet. I agree we're not there yet. You know, um, uh, you know, but again, it, what's wrong with having a celebration once a year, you know, Utah does it for, um, you know, pioneer day, you know, that's a celebration that, that happened, you know, from something that happened, you know, hundred plus years ago. And so, you know, we, ha- we have celebrations every year at Christmas time or Hanukkah, or, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a celebration to celebrate your community, whatever that community might be. And so, Will there always be a need to have pride? I hope not. Will there always be a reason to have a pride festival? I hope so. Great answer. I love that answer. And how would you, sometimes I pick up, um, 
initiatives sort of um, like a straight parade, you know, or, you know, have you picked up some of those instead of a gay pride parade, a straight parade? Yes. Or a, yeah. a synonym of this would be, hey, well, if we're having pride festivals in St. George, we should have a straight festival. Any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, I, there was a big thing this year about, you know, having a, there, I believe there was a straight pride um, in Boston, I think it was somewhere back East. My only question would be the motivation behind it. And I believe that the individuals that organized this, it was more of a dig into the LGBTQ community than a show of pride of who they are. It was more of a, a way to slap the LGBT community in the face, you know? And so again, it just goes back to the, to the motivation. It's a great answer. Yeah. You know, and, um, so a pride festival in St. George is about supporting LGBTQ people. It's the motivation is to help LGBTQ people move, move, make their way forward and feel like they belong. It's not meant to be a slap in the face to straight people. It's not an anti-straight festival. Absolutely not. And so your point about what I think is Boston too with the straight pride parade is the motivation. Very insightful comment. Mm-hmm. One of the, I'm writing a book as I've shared with my listeners and one of the chapters um, this book will be out next fall is just myths, all the myths that we sometimes say, and then uh, why I think they're myths. And one of the myths I've written here is, I just want to see if you want to take a talk, a stab at this one is talking about LGBTQ in school or home um, will make more LGBTQ people or even having a pride festival. If we're talking about this in home or school on TV, we're going to have more people be LGBTQ. That's like saying talking about black history is going to make more black people. I mean, that's ridiculous. This is something that we, that we don't choose to be a homosexual. You know, we don't choose to be straight and, um, you know, talking about it may make some people more uncomfortable because of whatnot, but how do you become more uncomfortable? How do you become more comfortable with something that you're not uncomfortable with is by talking about it, by being educated, by realizing that, Hey, this is just the way it is, you know? And, um, yeah, it's a, it's absolutely ridiculous. Theory. That's, that's my conclusion. And some would say that, more people identifying as LGBTQ, which is happening with our youth, is a sign of Satan's increased influence on them, confusing them into being LGBTQ. And I just don't believe that. Um, I believe that? that what it is is that art. It's a good thing because what it's doing is is it it's protecting kids from living a life of silent misery, like the individuals in my generation lived of growing up thinking that there's something terribly wrong with them. I don't believe that the percentage of, uh, LGBTQ, or I should say people, home, uh, let's say homosexuals. I don't believe the percentage of homosexuals is increasing in, hu you know, hum in humanity today. Um, it's always been whatever percentage it is, I just believe that the awareness that the LGBTQ community is receiving is helping those that were born as a homosexual to have more confidence in being able to live their authentic life. I agree with you. And I believe that's a maturing of society versus an example of society going the wrong direction. And exactly. So the Steve Lamberts that are 16 right now and 17 and 14 or th in the third grade are going to be able to just be in a better spot emotionally, spiritually to make better decisions because who they are, they're able to come. I think part of coming out is coming out to yourself and what people have told me and they're able to come out to themselves earlier and to make better decisions going forward in life. And so I agree with you. This isn't a sign of the, society going the wrong direction. I think it's a sign of society maturing, just like we have around other difficult social issues. You know, 
one of my dreams is that one day when a child comes home from school and says, oh my gosh, mom, I met somebody so cute today that the mother would look at him and go, well, what is their name? And then whether the boy says it's Lucy or it's Samuel, the reaction will be exactly the same, that this whole idea of, you know, the coming out process will be a thing of the past. It will be a no big deal. And that, you know, the future generations will kind of look in astonishment at what we had to go through back where we're living today. And I think we're getting there. Um, it's obviously a lot better now than it was when you or I were kids. Um, it's just still not there. I agree. I love your vision. And I, I think of a sister movement. You'll tell me if this resonates for you. I was reading a book by Brene Brown talking about the hashtag Black Lives Matter. And she made the point that Black Lives Matter is, is a movement to bring black people back into moral inclusion. And so I recognize that it's not fair for me as a white guy to decide if Black Lives Matter is needed. I need to listen to my black friends to see how they feel. And when they feel they've been brought back into full moral inclusion, then I, I understand the need for Black Lives Matter. If I say just all lives matter is a hashtag that works for me as a white guy, I may be um, invalidating an experience of another race of people. Any thoughts on that? Well, of course, all lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just a no brainer. Um, and I think it's, 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 you know, derogatory for someone to, to, to say that in reference when people are saying the black lives matter. Um, and I, I totally agree with you in that we, as a white privileged person who has not experienced what a, uh, a person of color has experienced in their life. We have absolutely no right to, um, to say anything negative about that movement. Just like a person who is straight, um, has no right to say that pride doesn't matter or that it doesn't, it shouldn't exist or it's no big deal or, or whatnot, unless you've walked in those shoes of that minority group, um, we have no way of really understanding what it's like to live in that life. Yeah, I agree with that. And I look at Christ's example. Um, I look at all these New Testament parables now, Stephen, since I've stepped in this space. And I think, you know, those parables are pretty timeless. And I think they're meant to be, exist for our day to give us doctrinal foundation on how to manage some of these more complex issues. But Christ is... Christ was with everybody that society said he shouldn't be with. It was shocking to the Jews of his day for sometimes for Christ to be with who he was with. Um, the Canaanite woman, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, there's example after example. And so I look at that and I think, what's my responsibility then as a privileged Latter-day Saint to reach out and help others that are on the margins? And, and, and so that gives me doctrinal foundation to sort of walk into the space and try to reach out. To me, um, I think the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to work first for the most marginalized. Um, it works really good for me, Stephen, because <laughs> I'm not in any real marginalized group. I may be as a Latter-day Saint, as a marginalized religion at one point in America, but that's really past. Um, but I, So I just, that's for our listeners, that's the way I look at, you know, uh, my responsibility as a Latter-day Saint is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ going first to those that have the hardest road, that are the most marginalized, and saying, what can I do to help them feel welcome and belong? And I recognize right now for a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, they just don't feel welcome. Um, and I think we're making progress, but I recognize many step away. And then when they do, we just I just keep them in the circle of my life. I don't, um, I just leave any judging the Savior's feet and say they're, you know, my doctrine is that you are a son of God. You're my spiritual brother, Stephen, from the pre-earth life. And we both fought for the same cause up there. We fought for the Savior's plan. Maybe you helped me follow the Savior's plan in the pre-earth life. Um, I believe in that doctrine, but I believe we're spiritual brothers. And we have the same heavenly parents. And 
So I don't look at you as an us versus them. I just look at you as my brother. And then I think, what's my responsibility to help understand your unique world? And that's why I like Pride Festival, because it gives me a way to better understand your journey and gives me better insights and to better meet the needs of a group of people that I don't know very much about. Are you okay with all that or any thoughts to that? Or Yeah, just... no, I'm okay with that. I hope that you come to our next Pride <laughs> Festival. <laughs> we'll tell our listeners what it is. <laughs> um, well, it, it'll be the third Saturday in September. And um, that's a great time of year in St. George. It's perfect time of year in St. George. Back in my marathon running days, we used to run the St. George Marathon. I'm too round now to run marathons, but I'm not too round to come to a Pride Festival. There you go. We, There's no there. re- fitness requirement. Any other thoughts you'd like to live with our listeners, Stephen? You know, um, it's interesting because, you know, I love the name of, of your podcast. Um, and I don't know where, you know, I don't know where this came from in my life, but my goal for 2019 was to listen, learn and love. And, um, everything I I've tried to focus everything in my life around that. And, and, I want to be able to truly listen to what other people are saying and try to learn and understand what, where they're coming from and the, and the pain and the joy that they feel. And then it's our responsibility to just love them, just to love them. I had a friend, uh, my best friend, um, uh, this was before I came out, before he knew anything he had a uh, sister-in-law who had just come out as, as lesbian and had a partner who, and they happened to now be married and his, we were having lunch. We used to have lunch every Thursday and he was really struggling with this or his wife was really struggling with this. It was his wife's sister and his mother-in-law was really struggling with this. And he's like, I just don't know how to help, help her. I don't know how to help her be okay with her sister coming out as you know, as lesbian. And, and I said, you know, the only thing that she can do, the only, her only responsibility is to love her. That's it. That's her only responsibility. Love her. Of course, there's going to be things that she disagrees with, but her responsibility is to love her. And I honestly believe that we, we need to replace our misunderstanding, our anger, our hatred, or whatever it might be with love. And if we can really focus on the fact that each one of us are very unique human beings, and we're never going to understand other human beings fully, um, that's not our job. Our job is to love. And if we can't love them, then we need to look internally and ask our selves, why can't I, why am I having this anger or this hate or this disgust and really do some self-reflection? Um, and hopefully in the end we can just learn to love. I love that. And, um, I do feel the name of this podcast was inspired. It was my journey, personal journey to understand LGBTQ people had to be willing to listen and had to be humble enough to learn and put us be willing to put aside prior assumptions or conclusions. And it has helped me better love. I have no perfect love casteth out fear. As I sit across the table and knew you were coming and other LGBTQ guests, I have no fear of LGBTQ people. I just see wonderful people that are contributing to society. that are good parents that are doing the very best. Yeah, there's some LGBTQ people in my life that are pretty negative influence, but there's some straight people in my life. Right. And so to sort of pin that on one group isn't fair. Um, So I love the Brene Brown quote, people are hate, hard to hate, close in, move in, or close up, move in. And, um, And I just, and I love those principles that you're sharing with us. So um, thanks for being on the podcast, Stephen, um, and your journey and just willing to share your, a bit of your personal life that I think helps others. It takes a bit of vulnerability and courage, courage to share that. Those are sometimes not the most prettiest chapters in your life and not what you first hoped for, but I really appreciate you sharing that because it helps others and what you're doing professionally and then what you're doing here in the St. George community. I believe you're saving lives. I believe the Pride Festival is saving lives. 
as I've met, as you have too, with younger people in particular that just don't have any hope. And I think we're moving in the right direction. So I had one thought, but it, I lost it. So we're just going to sign off of okay. another, another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love with my guest, Steve Lambert. This is Richard Osler. <laughs>